Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Decked drawer systems. I've always loved Decked, as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. They got the Deco case line. These cases are as tough, if not tougher, than Pelican case or Go boxes. Totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping. Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11 through 17. Free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the Turkey Woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom. So head on over to TheMeatEater.com, March 11 through 17, for Turkey Week. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Uh, Chris, do you mind revisiting a conversation we had real quick? Not at all. Uh, Rich Pounder and I were wondering, if you're eating an apple in the woods, you, you like stop for a moment and you eat an apple. You finish your apple. Why do you throw it? Why do you throw the core? Instead of just set, dropping it. Why do you want it? Like You're not going to be there. My theory was because, well, I think about it, like, I can't do that in my house. You have to take it over to the trash can. You have to take it to the trash, and you got to open it and delicately place it in. But when you're outside, you can just huck it. Yeah. And it feels good. But if you were standing where, like, let's say you're eating an apple, and you finish it, and you huck it, Mm -hmm. and where it lands. If you had eaten the apple where it landed, you'd huck it somewhere else. Yeah, you just huck it away from wherever you're at at the <laughs> time. Weird, I'm going to stop doing it, though. I'm going to start when I finish the apple. I'm setting that. But you tried it, and you didn't like it. the trash being near you. Yeah, yeah, I tried just setting, just dropping the apple core, since I'm not staying there anyway. Yeah. Just drop the apple core. But no, you're, something about your body wants to hurl, huck. I want to make a throwing motion right now, and I, don't, I am not even eating an apple. Uh, people like throwing shit. They do. Certain kinds of things. Yeah. I think it's the core is visually unpleasant. You don't want that sitting next yeah. to you. I think that's why we throw really? it. Really? It might attract insects, animals. No, that's not why you throw a core. 
Well, I mean, you're saying you don't know exactly why, but it might be like... In, oh, in your deep down. Yeah. yeah. Well, in your deep <laughs> in, down, you're... In your deep, is, that a part, is that a part of you, your deep down? Yeah, you sure. Deep, if I told you I was going to grab your deep down... <laughs> don't they call it like the mammalian brain? Uh, yeah, like how little kids come pre-wired to fear snakes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we're pre-wired to distribute apple seeds. Yeah. Just like a bird. Uh, here, a bear. Interesting. I'm comfortable moving on. <laughs> Is everybody good? Yeah. Hockey, hockey yeah. course? Yeah. We're good. Uh, you know, what's funny, I'll point out, what got us talking about apple core, Hawking, was not an apple core. It's a damn banana peel. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you don't want to slip. No. You just don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't want that thing around you. You want a like, clean little space. Has anyone so that, that you uh, know ever slipped on a banana peel? Do we know anyone here who has actually done that? You know, I feel no. like maybe we had a good laugh about someone once slipping on a banana peel. The writer Chris Offit once said to me, and he didn't make this up, but talked about someone having one foot out the door and one on a banana peel or something like that. <laughs> but no, I haven't. Maybe I... Like, where did that start? Is that like a cartoon visualization that has now seeped into like all of our... I believe, yeah, it's the kind of thing that you know from its representation rather than its individual reality. Yeah. Uh, great story we heard the other night, and I think we can all put it together. Right. Uh, and then we're going to get into some, a couple listener issues before we get on to talk about what we're here to talk about. So a, a, a mug we were having dinner with the other night, dude, what's, his name's Hunter, and he, he kind of defies my old thing that if you have a kid and you want him to hunt, you're like, well, I'll name him Hunter, and then he'll become a hunter. And I've seen that backfire a lot, but not on this dude. What was this dude's name, Yanni? Hunter uh, Meekum. I think it's Meekum or Meacham. He guides for Jay Scott and Dark Holborn. And he's a lion man. Mm-hmm. He's a houndsman. Comes from a long line of houndsmen. Comes from a long line of famous houndsmen who have a long line of famous hounds. In Utah, I believe. Yep. They hunt Utah. And his father and his uncle, or his family, does a lot of also helps out with a lot of research projects involving lions. He's telling a story about his uncle goes up, climbs up in a tree to tranquilize a mountain lion with a trank gun and takes a poke with the gun and misses. So I don't know if you can say, blouch when it's a tranquilizer but he shoots and misses the lion so rather than uh, now he's got to reload the tranquilizer gun so he lowers the tranquilizer gun down on a rope to some kind of college kid who's helping out on this project and the college kid he made a big point to point out that it was a college kid uh loads uh reloads the tranquilizer gun and ties it through the Ties it through the trigger. Mm. The trigger guard. Ties it through the trigger guard. So that once he starts hoisting the tranquilizer gun back up. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Blouch! Hits him with the tranquilizer dart. Oh, man. And he's out. His dad, this hunter's dad, packed his brother down off the, on a, (laughs) on a mule tied to a mule, packed him down. He was out for 16 hours. Whoa. 
and they had to keep him up and keep his tongue like keep him positioned so his tongue wouldn't fall back in his head which is exactly what they do with a lion yeah so they knew what to do could have very easily killed him wow tranked yeah that'd be a good name for that movie tranked <laughs> um <laughs> wow this has happened recently uh game warden from oklahoma gets to chit chatting on a uh, bumble how many guys are on how many guys use bumble or have used bumble i have so like ridge pounders ridge pounders use yeah. bumble yep yeah okay yep you've used bumble Yep. Kenyon, you got no business on there. No. Is that a hunting app? <laughs> yep. Sure is. Yanni. Yanni's got no business on there. And Rick. Yep. Um, you've used Bumble. The d- a dating app. So Game Warden is chatting up a woman on a on Bumble, like fixing to date her. And she mentions having just that she's doing good because she just shot a huge buck. And he gets to asking her some questions about it and gets suspicious and oh. and doesn't do it as a date and as a date but goes over there to do a little investigation and sure enough she'd poached a buck <laughs> busted her while trying to romance her <laughs> on bumble that's amazing Next life in what, oklahoma what's the moral of that story don't poach don't date <laughs> see i took it to be don't date rick, rick before the show i was asking you real quick um if you, <laughs> like you got to decide right now man do you want like a plug i really hope you do you do no no but uh i just i appreciate that you are looking out for me yeah our friend rick here our friend rick here grade a photographer drone pilot we just found out also grade a photographer drone pilot no that you don't want to mention that these are these are not positives in the (laughs) in the dating world in the dating world (laughs) no women if you you're like oh he's like a nature documentary photographer Mm -hmm. But that but, would be appealing to women. Here's the issue, though. If you're into essential oils, do not call Rick. Yeah. If you like multivitamins, <laughs> also, do not call that's Rick. That's also not a good thing to yeah, say. Yeah, because here's a weird deal about Here's a weird deal if, you're, if one was going to date Rick. is like you could picture that Rick might lure in. He might lure in people who had habits that Rick is against. Because he wants to fix them. No. Well, like he's very suspicious of vitamins. He's very suspicious of essential Skep- oils. Skeptic overall. He's yeah, a skeptic, skeptic, but you could also see that 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 ladies would be lured would be drawn to Rick who might have a crystal and some essential oils. <laughs> I'm not against that. I mean, I'm I'm really not. So those people can contact you as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not a I'm not a I don't I don't judge. He won't write anything in, off, man. You're not in the market. You're not in the market. You're not uh, out of the market. I'm definitely not out of the market. I'm, I'm in the, the market. market. I'm in the market. He's, he's the market. near. He's lurking outside of yeah. the market. I'm, like it's the co-op. Lurk's actually. not a good he's word, lurking though. outside the Yeah, co-op. no lurking. Lurk's not good. That's not a good <laughs> yeah. word. When you're trying to get word choice, when you're Steve, trying to choice. get women to find a guy who don't use lurking, <laughs> that's right. That's that's he's uh, um hovering. No, I don't know. He's pathetically. <laughs> but, uh, no, this, I thought this. I thought this was a hunting po- podcast. Steve. Oh, we're getting to that. This Rick. is hunting. We're getting Speaking to that. Of lurking. Um, I hope you're going to mention the little buck from your house. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good story. That's a good story. Can you keep that in mind? I sure can. I'm working down. I, I'm working down through my notes here. I got a couple things about bucks. Uh, did you finish pitching Rick? Oh, Rick. Uh, he's too bashful how how do they find you so we have a lot of female (laughs) listeners um 
they they want to find you. You know, know, they're like dying to they're dying to date In, you. Instagram, I feel like that's the way people find each other these Is days. Is it Rick Smith Media? Yeah, Rick Smith Media. Slip in no, not slip in. How do they say it? <laughs> Slide in on Rick's DMs. Oh. Giannis. Oh huh? you're pretty much so, a mil- you're a millennial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you? Yeah. The velvet no. tone. He's right on the edge. Right? How old are you? I don't have no idea. Nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, yeah, that's not millennial. That's pre-millennial. Mm-hmm. Got an email that contained the saddest line of all sad lines. And I've been thinking about this for a couple of days now. A woman wrote in a letter, and her letter contained the line, I'm a woman, and I'm gay, and so it's hard for me to find people to hunt with. Which, I feel like going hunting with her now. Saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, Not an email... Uh, so is she saying like one compounds the other which she's laying she's like I'm a woman I'm just telling you super hard I'm a woman and I'm gay and so it's hard hard. for me to find people to hunt with huh that is a bummer guy wrote in we're talking about Santa Claus being a grade A hole because uh, you know moving around captive servants all over the place (laughs) (laughs) spreading disease (laughs) Guy wrote in about that. I that's not my idea, but he says, "Man, there should be a lot more scrutiny on Santa because he's gonna like imagine the disease vector that guy's got going on with his captive deer, going to every house, every Christian household in the world with his herd of deer, spreading Lord knows what around." And this guy says, "If you're really gonna hack on Santa, think about it like this." He says, "It's my understanding that deer can't see red." So the only way, if all the other deer were so mean to Rudolph, the only way they would have known is if Santa told him that his nose was different. <laughs> I think his nose is bigger. So though. Santa's like bullying. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> he, Santa's like, you guys can't see it because you can't see red. You can't see that wavelength. But check it out. I can see it, and that reindeer is way different, and y'all should be mean to him. <laughs> It's a very good point. It's an interesting observation. Uh, another thing on deer real quick. Ryan QDMA. Fear. Fear. He has something interesting to say. Um, talk about antler restrictions. So he says, prior to 2002, do you know this, Kenyon? I couldn't tell you the, the numbers are at the top of my head, but I'm aware of the general trend you're going to tell me about. Do you mind explaining what an antler restriction is? An antler point restriction would be a regulation put in place by a state requiring a certain number of antler points on a deer's antler for you to be able to legally shoot it. So in Pennsylvania, I think in most parts of the state, they put an a- APR for short. They put an APR in place of four points on a side for a buck to be legal. Oh, man. That's and that was deep antler restriction. He's got to be a Michigan 8. Yeah, and, and I, I'm not from Pennsylvania, so there might have been a part of the state that was a three-point on one side, part of the state was four-point on one side. That might be the case, um, but I believe the, the Seth, the sickly Seth, is the, is uh, too sick to even have a headphone on. But most states three on one side, some of the states four on the one side. Okay, so I've got an uncle who hunts in the four on a side part, which is why I know the story. But it was with the stated goal of trying to help more one and a half year old bucks make it to an older age class. Yeah, he he wrote in because we were having this conversation where I was saying I don't have any data to support this, but I was saying, man, like. All the damn bucks when I was a kid were a year and a half old. 
I mean, virtually all of them. You mean all the bucks taken? Yeah, it's like you know, everybody you shot bucks, and they were all the same. Spikes, yeah. forks, little sixers, right? Just little, like, not, you know, they're a year and a half old bucks. It was a real rarity. Like, I remember when the old man shot a buck that was not, it was like a giant, you know, in, in our mind. And uh, But he was saying he doesn't, he didn't have any statistics off the, uh, at his fingertips for um, Michigan. But he's saying prior to 2002, when Pennsylvania introduced mandatory antler restrictions, n- there, 90% of the bucks harvested were one and a half years old. So for you folks that aren't quick at math, nine out of 10 bucks were only a year and a half old. Of that 90%, 80% of those were killed on opening day of gun season. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Then he goes on to say this. He says, in a nutshell, the biggest part of our annual buck harvest, you know, we killed all of our bucks basically in two days of the season. 90% of those were one and a half years old. At the time, there were about 1.2, uh, 1.2 million licensed hunters in Pennsylvania. That trend, he says, was the norm in those days. In 2015 was the first time in our nation's hunting history. So we're outside of Pennsylvania now. 2015 was the first time in our nation's hunting history that we saw that trend change. As a nation of hunters, we harvested more three-and-a-half-year-olds than one-and-a-half-year-olds in 2015. Does that surprise you, Mark Kenyon? Wired to hunt? It doesn't. I've been following that trend for, for probably a decade now, and it's been moving that direction more and more. And, and I just got the data here from this, this year, looking back at the most recent data. So that would have been from the 2017-18 season would be the most recent data. And that shows that still we're at the lowest, record lowest harvest levels for year and a half olds nationally still. So in Pennsylvania, you mentioned 90%, 9 out of 10 bucks killed a year and a half old. Now nationally, only 35% of bucks harvested are a year and a half old nationwide. Yeah. So pretty interesting. And 34% were three or older, three and a half or older. Somebody tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on, Rick. People used to shoot a lot of dinkers. Now they're shooting biggins. Yeah, but but the why. Oh. I understand the... <laughs> I, I, I didn't need a recap. I needed some analysis. I needed the recap. <laughs> so, Bridge, you up to speed now? I'm cool. up to speed. I'm really happy that, that happened. On? Yeah. I don't know about move on. I, Rick's got a good question, but... Mark, tell him what happened. Well, yeah, there's a little bit of a, like, a egg and the chicken kind of thing here, but probably the the biggest thing going on here is there's been change in culture around whitetail deer hunting in that a lot of hunters started to to see and learn and hear about the benefits of letting young deer reach older age, older age classes and a lot of that is to um to the credit of of ryan's employer the quality deer management association who's done a pretty cool job of talking about a lot of different things that we can do as deer hunters and managers to try to you know, manage for a more natural, balanced deer herd. Of course, though, to Steve's point that he, he makes sometimes, which is true, hunters, we get a kick out of big deer too. So a lot of people realize that, hey, if I can make decisions that help the deer herd and help me see and maybe kill some bigger bucks, that's like a fun 
beneficial thing to do. So a lot more people saw those benefits and started passing on younger deer. And they started doing things to improve the habitat that might help deer get bigger. Um, and a slew of other things over the years that the last 10, 15 years have, have really changed the landscape when it comes to deer across America. So yeah, there's a lot more older deer and a lot more deer that are bigger too. Dude wrote in, you good? Rick, you cool? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Was I that could, satisfying? I, yeah, I could ask some questions. Please. Well, I mean, I just don't know, have any idea, but <clears throat> as the deer get older, does that change the, like, what is that, how is that affecting the the population area or herds? How does it benefit? Can we put that off? Yeah. I, to if, a future episode? Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, well, we're going to have, like, we're going to focus on that in a, in a future episode. Okay, cool. Yep. Is that okay with you, Giannis? I'll tell you when it comes out. You All right. Listen to it. Yeah, no. That's, that's the only way I learn about hunting is by listening to the podcast. So, everyone good? Yanni, you good so Ready far? Ready roll. I am. Guy says he's got a real beef with me. He says that um, he says I got coyote cooking all wrong. He says open. He's saying that uh, he saw me cook a coyote where we roasted it with the skin on, and he said that's a sure way to ruin any game animal. That would make even squirrel taste awful. This is him talking. Then he goes on to say I very much enjoy coyote meat and prefer to chunk it up and fry it dusted in flour it tastes like a mild combination of lamb and pork and is a great way to add variety to the dinner table i would love to see you guys give it another try with the care the meat deserves that's good that's fine but i have contrary to this man's opinion i have had a wonderful squirrel cooked where you burn the hair off of the squirrel and then roast the squirrel with its skin on. In Vietnam, I had a wonderful, uh, kind of a weird squirrel possum-looking marsupial critter that a guy had shot out of a tree with an air rifle uh, that he burned all the hair off and then roasted with its skin. If you read about the plains tribes they would cook domestic dog that way by burning all the hair off and roasting it in the skin i've had wild pork wild pig by burning all the hair off and roasting it in the skin and that was delectable as for coyote being good how many of you guys have had coyote cal nope i haven't nope yeah and you've had a little nibble a little nibble one we last should, one we should Could go we- kill some though because i want to try uh Bendrix's recipe too. You think we should give it a try? Oh yeah. I haven't touched one since I ate my last one. A, a guy wrote in he had hunted in uh Bolivia. He was down hunting with some uh indigenous people in Bolivia and he was marveling how they two things. They went out to hunt tapir and they had a sixteen gauge shell and they cut it open and put some kind of own their own little they cut it open and took the shot out and made their own little slug somehow and put it in there and used it to kill a tapir. And he, he said that they quartered it with the skin on, salted it like crazy. But it reminded me of thing about, like this talk about shotguns, reminded me of thing. I was with some guys in South America that had a 16-gauge shotgun, but their only ammo was 12-gauge shotgun shells. So 
they were going out night hunting and they would take their cut open their 12 gauge shell and cut open their 16 no hold on, back let me back up yeah they had a 16 gauge shotgun and a bunch of spent shells yeah and they had a box of good 12 gauge shells so they t- laid out some leaves like bowl shaped leaves cut the 12 gauge shell open dumped the shot into a leaf pulled the wad out poured the powder out knocked the primer out of the 12 gauge <laughs> shell put the primer into the 16 gauge shell poured the powder in there took toilet paper and made a wadding and packed the wad down poured the shot in got a candle out and wax sealed the thing shut and they'd get two or three of those made up and then it was time to go hunting <laughs> wow yeah and one night they go out and they come back with a couple birds and they had a uh, an, uh, uh, an aquatic rodent that they'd killed and they didn't have enough and so they went through this whole process and made one more shell and then went back out in their boat and a while later came back and they were done hunting wow it's good stuff that is good stuff Okay. We got it good, don't we? Where where to begin? Tamales. Oh. Me gusta. We're um we're we're just finishing up a hunt in Sonora, Mexico. Um, not far from you know, a ways off, not far from the US border. You can see land features across the line in the u.s and it's kind of an auspicious time to be down here hunting because you know we're engaged in a great national debate about the um ramifications and costs and merits of constructing a border wall so it's been funny to be down flirting with the border and seeing the border and 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 being down here hunting it's been like more I've, i've come down here a number of times over the years to hunt and it's been more sort of, uh, I don't know, the geopolitics are on my mind now more than normal, being down in Mexico. Um, coos deer But it are, felt just the same as years past. The hunting, the land. Well, and the the whole uh, travel and the process. Oh, yeah. Across no, the border. No, no problem. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to suggest that it was problematic in any way. You weren't. I was just adding that. Yeah. Not that it was problematic anyway, but just like an interesting time, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To come down and hunt. And coos deer, uh, it, it's um, coos deer, also pronounced cow's deer. A, 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 a kind of a weird dude with a real weird personal history. Elliot Coos is the guy whose name was applied to these deer, and you'll, you'll hear him called desert whitetails. And little dinky 90, 100-pound whitetails that live in the mountainous desert. And the Sky Island Mountain chains. Some in New Mexico, a great many in Arizona. And then this is kind of like the good old days down here in Mexico. There's got to be more coos deer down here than in all of Arizona, wouldn't you guess? Yeah. In all of Sonora? Lots of coos deer. Lots of coos deer. So came down and we the way 
I've never hunted down here anyway, but this way. Mm-hmm. Like we've never come down not with working with. Talk about Jay. How you used to work for him, my buddy Jay. Yeah, I used to work for him as a uh, fishing guide. He was a client of mine. That's how we met. Yeah, I didn't realize that you guys met that way. Floating down the old Eagle, Eagle River. Mm-hmm. So you guided him fishing, and then you started guiding for him. Yeah, that's right. In Arizona, a little bit down here. In those big famous elk units in Arizona. That's right. Good times. Anything you'd like to add about that? You're being awful curt. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun hanging out. I always, when I see Dar down here, I always think back on those times and uh, miss them because Dar and I used to guide together and uh, have a lot of good laughs. So, yeah. No, I don't know what to add about it. It was good. Um, but yeah, so Jay, I didn't had no idea to how time flies, but uh, Jay said uh, this is his twenty first year of doing this down here. Really? Yeah. Jay Scott has glassed up. The last time I asked him this question, how many mountain lions he's ever glassed up? The last time I talked to him, he was at thirty two. It's like he spends so much time glassing, you know, looking through his binos or spotting scopes. His number now. <laughs> He's glassed up 43. So if you think you spent a lot of time out hunting, add up how many mountain lions you've seen through your binos. And then consider that this man has glassed up 43 mountain lions while looking for other junk. Yeah, if you're a Western hunter, spent a lot of time on the glass. This really wouldn't work for a dude that sits in tree stands for whitetail. No, you could wait a long time for a mountain lion to walk by. Yeah. But what Jay does, so Jay guides down, Jay guides in Mexico. He guides elsewhere too, but he guides in Mexico and he guides for Gould's turkeys um, and guides for coos deer, but also does, give, give, him, give, him the, give him the spiel, Yanni. You'll do a better job of it. It's a, he basically does like a DIY program for guys that want to come down to Mexico and hunt coos deer. And so he... The hunt itself is completely DIY, but he arranges the uh, ranch and then helps with your uh, paperwork for crossing your firearms across the border and then kind of gives you, um, just kind of lays out the whole process of what it's going to take to cross the border going both directions. But he'll basically secure a ranch and secure deer tags for that ranch. And then um, you buy those through Jay, you know, but the ranch provides them. And then he basically uh, helps you get your uh, firearm permit for Mexico and then gives you like a real clean rundown of like, this is what you need. If you're going to bring a vehicle across the border, you need the insurance and a letter that says that you're the owner, it has to have the VIN number, this, that, and the other, and then gives you real clear directions. And he also offers, I think, um, like what we call fixers or like and translators like they can be at the border to meet you to help you through that process to get you to your ranch and once you're at the ranch you're on your own and it's like you're it's like you have your it's like having a chunk of national it's not national forest because very much privately owned land but it's like it's like you when you cross the border and come down in here not that far man it's like you've gone back like 100 years back in time 
huge ranches. People mm-hmm. still work cattle on horseback. It's great, man. I mean, I uh, had a very different idea of um, how this trip was going to be when um, I got the offer to jump on. And, yeah, this whole situation is really fantastic. And uh, the folks um, that we've had uh, helping us out here at at the Rancho um, are great. And it's just kind of like, it's nice watching uh, and being around folks who are living simply and, um, you know, kind of feel like a bum because they're working. But, uh, you know, while we're tramping the hills, but it's it's just nice. It uh, It's kind of kind of relaxing. Oh, yeah, man. Cutting loose on, like, cutting loose, wandering around like a giant chunk of property. That's yeah. Got a bunch of deer hiding out in the mountains in it. Yeah. And it's, it's just been, it's great too. Cause it's not like, you're not like walking down to some, or not even walking in some cases, you're not just like stepping out the door and looking at some center pivot that's fully irrigated and chuck, chuck, chucking away. And there's deer living in there night and day. And, um, you know, I wouldn't mind having a spot or two like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you wouldn't see any of the ranch, you yeah. know? I mean, this has been awesome because um, you definitely got to do some exploring and and uh, checking out new stuff, and it's been great. It's been great. Man, it's funny back home hunting whitetails. When you talk about a property you can hunt, you know, if if I said I got a big property to hunt, that'd be like 150 acres, 200 acres. I'd be really excited about that. When you're talking about this kind of scale we have out here, like you said, it does feel like national forest. It's vast. It's, yeah, it seems unending almost. Tens of thousands yeah. of acres. Yeah. Completely undeveloped. You hike all day. Never cross the border. Yeah, completely like just like not developed. It's just a different, yeah. it's just different, it's man. Wild. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, odds are you're already done trying. Well, luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch it over to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Choose from three, six, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. 
Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store. Or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, They're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. The way you hunt koozie is you get up. This This isn't the way it has to happen, but typically... You get up on the kind of the biggest, highest peaks around that you can find, and um, and you have to just watch the the surrounding hillsides very, very, very carefully. They're extremely hard to pick up. The brush is tall, and the animal is small, and it uh, like for me, one thing uh, that really struck me and something that I had to kind of like recalibrate my brain over and over again to was, um, was when, when any animal stands out in the wide open, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, there he is. And they seem like bigger than life. But when they're in that brush, these things are so small that, um, free handing my binoculars at often, Many times throughout this hunt, freehanding my binoculars would be frustrating to the point where I thought it was pointless. Like I had to have them on on the tripod. Yeah. Because so many times I'd like looked at a deer and um, the only reason that I caught it was because of the motion of the deer. And that could be like the chin moving as it's chewing its cud like little white flashes from its chin moving or just an ear flicker or, you know, maybe in a generous way, it'd be like a big white tail given a flap. Um, 
And so if your binoculars were moving at all, you know, at 1,100 yards, um, you're going to miss that little bit of motion. It was just amazing. At, like, I had a hard time giving them the credit that they were due as far as their ability to disappear. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and then to compound on that, if you were to somehow, you know, well, if, even if you had them on a tripod, if you bumped them or in any way left that singular focus on that little bit of movement, you'd almost never find it again. So if you handheld, yes. you're stuck. Yeah, that's yes. a good point. Because you're looking at like a sea of, of brushy slopes. Yeah. And then oftentimes you'll be sitting there with, you, with your buddies that you're hunting with. And you'll be like, oh, got one. And they'll be like, where? And you'll be like, I can't, I don't even, I can't tell you. I don't know. I, don't want, I can't take my eyes yeah. off it to get yeah. the context. And you can't, you know that the minute you move your eye to figure out where it is that your binoculars are centered on it to, in order to explain it, that something's going to happen, you're going to lose track of the deer. Yeah. It's like the world's best game of Where's Waldo. Oh, it's fun. But it's like, it's, they just vanish. Yeah. Then you see them and oftentimes you like catch them and then you never catch them again. Oh, buck. He went into that. Ah, never mind. And you never see him again. And we're hunting him during the rut. So you and Jan even watched two deer make love. Yeah, did. That's the second time I've seen that happen this year. I was commenting on the strong oral component. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of, of said lovemaking. A lot of before and after. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that needs to be further defined. Oh, really? I don't want to define well, we gotta that. We got to go further down that <laughs> I road. I know you don't. Because it's, <laughs> it's a good family. Hunt. It's a family program. Uh, there's two like there's two <laughs> things. And, and, and you know, I've heard uh guys like big white tail guys <laughs> talking to you Mark, you're kind of the main one I know. Um <laughs> talk about bucks being locked down. Yeah. A lockdown being that that there's a period like in the breeding cycle when you can't find any big bucks because the big bucks are just standing there by a doe and not doing anything. They're just hanging out with a doe. And man, like we saw two kinds of buck activity. Bucks that were just moving so fast and so much that it was like you couldn't go get them if you wanted them because they just come in and out of your life. You know? Oh, there he is. You kind of work. You watch him. You lose him. You watch him. You lose him. You watch him. You lose him. And pretty soon he's way the hell down the hill and he's gone. And he's just gone. Or he's, you catch a glimpse of him and he goes into some giant sea of brush and never comes back out and he's gone out of your life. But then the ones we got, no, that's, kind of, that's not really true. Yeah. Two. So the best opportunities were bucks that were, that were so intensely focused on a single doe that they would allow, we watched one today, that would go 20 minutes not moving his feet and not taking a bite to eat, but just stand there for 20 minutes and watch a doe feed 10, 20 yards away from him. And like all that's on his mind is standing there. They like to be a little higher. Standing, it seems like they like to be a little teeny bit higher than a doe and just stand there and stare at her. It was very, it was very familiar whitetail behavior in that regard. That seemed like something that yeah, makes sense. You saw some number of bucks cruising, which was that first behavior you talked about, just moving around, trying to find that doe. And then when a buck did have a doe, 
sometimes several bucks all trying to be close to that doe, but typically there's that one that is with a doe that's ready to breed. You have that lockdown phenomena. And, and yeah, I mean, we all, I think, saw situations like that. Their patience is kind of amazing or whatever it is, their focus. Especially when you get a look at the parasite load on these things. Yeah. They yes. have dozens of per... I think if you looked at a patch of their hide, three inches by three inch, there's 20 or so ticks. You look around the, the, the bald spot, just around their anus, the, the, the hairless patch around there, crawling with ticks. You, they have nasal bots living in the back of their throat that can be the size of like the end of your pinky. Their forelegs are perforated with cactus thorns. And all that, and they can stand there staring at a lady. I think we've all been there. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of ticks, Mark. Yeah. Not necessarily ticks, but we've all been focused was, on the prize. With Mario's crabs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that buck's thinking the exact same thing we're thinking when we're looking through the spotting scope or the binoculars, though, right? Mm. He's like, man. If I take my eyes off of her, I may never see her again. Yeah, he knows right. he's going to lose her. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of become one of my favorite types of hunting those the hunt coos deer. Man, I cows deer. I loved every minute of it. Like and never I never had a a moment where I was like god, I hope I fill this tag. I was always like, well, this goes on another day. I'm all right with that. You, you know you what know? I th- yeah, what what I think happened with the with the buck you got, the first time I've ever seen it happen with a coos deer, I think, is uh, kind of like stumbling into a buck. Yes, very much. Went up to a glass and knob and then found a buck. Yeah, and you know what's extremely unique about that for me is uh, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've filled my tag before everybody else in camp has filled their tag. Like, I always, mostly by choice, am the last person to fill my tag. Yeah. It's kind of where I feel more comfortable, I think, mostly from growing up doing the guiding thing. But Steve had purposely walked away without his gun. <laughs> without his and, gun. Or, <laughs> nor binoculars. And then we saw a buck. But I wasn't, so I wasn't considering myself to be up anyway. Well, that doesn't matter. I mean... To me, no. It, I was thinking uh, in my mind, I was you were up. It helped my decision making so so much because you had your uh, your toiletry kit in your hand. <laughs> I was going over to find a rock that I was going to flip over, and then do some something, then flip that rock back over on top of it, and come back and check on y'all. And I was just it. It was like the perfect, the perfect green light for me. Because I was like, all right, well, this isn't even an argument at this point. Because my inclination would have been like, Steve, get your gun. No, I would have said no. No, 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 no. I can just attest to what an amazingly stealthy crew you get to run around with. (laughs) Seven of us Mm -hmm. just waltzed right up to 200 yards. And they were able to 
film at all. It's yeah. hard using the that uh, is a good crew hand signals all day and being nonverbal and mm-hmm. all sneaky like that. You spotted them too, didn't you? It's like as soon I remember as soon as we got up there, you were like, Shh. He was there. "Oh, the eagle! Why do you the think eagle, we call? Why do you think we call him the eagle, dude? You cannot mess with the eagle. Why do you think he gets the work here? Because <laughs> he's the eagle. It's not because his sass. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> not we don't keep him for his sass. <laughs> what about his? What about his shoulders? The, yes, the, the, be, the big beefy yeah. shoulders <laughs> helps a lot. His lack of verbosity." Um, right now is not helping him, but the <laughs> What's eagle. Verbosity? How many words one uses? But um, the eagle is the eagle, man. Like a very, like if you said he gave me a very verbose explanation, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be like a lots there, yeah, lots there, lots there. A loquacious one. Oh, that's a good word, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesse. When he does strike, he strikes. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's a sassy word. Now, with Mark's buck. Mark's buck, we spotted up some bucks. So that was a non-trad coos deer kill. That was a non-trad coos deer kill. That was the first time I've seen that happen. It was the first time uh, in the I coo- killed my buck last year that way. No. Yeah. Last year. Last year. Oh, you with, still hunted. With John and I, John Snow and I. I forgot about last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wasn't there. You weren't. So the ones I've been in on, I've never seen it play out where... Um, it's always played out where you see it far off and then have to do some things to get over and and get into get a crack at it. The ones I've been in on, which is a, a good handful. Um, it was the first one I've seen where we where we actually kind of came on came upon one. Marks was more classic who's your situation. Yep, spied them from. About a thousand yards, mm-hmm. and then you had to work downhill and get, you know, seven eight hundred yards closer. Yeah, first time I ever done anything like that because I think I was telling Yanni I've never mule deer hunted, never coos deer hunted. You know, I've only ever bow hunted ninety five percent of the time for white tails. Occasionally use a shotgun or muzzleloader to shoot like hundred yard shots max. So this is way outside of my ballpark of of experience. So That's was, awesome. Yeah. And that was all the all the hunting this guy's done. That was the longest shot he's ever taken. Oh yeah, and the the longest shot before that was my shot last year on the caribou. So you guys have stretched, and prior to that, it was probably ninety five yards. <laughs> so you guys have really stretched me um, when it comes to firearms, which is good. But yeah, we spotted that buck at a, a thousand yards or so, and decided that we thought he was a shooter and. Uh, Yanni and myself and, and Seth went tearing down the hill and went down the steep canyon at about mm, 300 yards, came up to this little rise at the bottom of this valley. There's a small kind of knoll. And we got to the top of that rise. Called the shooting knob. Shooting knob. <laughs> and uh, couldn't can, see. Can I interject real oh, quick? Because yeah. I want to point out an important part of coos deer hunting. Yeah. When you're watching a coos deer and you're thinking like you're going to go after it, that's great. You found a buck, you're going to go after it. But the, the, the tricky question is, what, where exactly are you going to go? Because it doesn't really work generally. It doesn't work to get on his slope. You got to find a little perch or something where you can shoot over into his area. Like some kind of terrain feature where you might 
plausibly like get there and look into his brushy little zone. You can't get on his his not that you can't, but typically it would not work to get on his slope. In this spot set up perfectly in that way. Because you had a little perch. Yeah, had a shooting knob. Is that what I called it? A shooting knob. Shooting knob. Yeah. And the other thing that's important to point out, I think, that it was a, a thing I learned from this trip was the importance of before taking making that stalk, you really need some reference points locked in as far as where you saw that deer last. Yeah. Because you're going to lose it. Your changed perspective really flips things around. So, so we, I remember seeing that there's a really thick patch of junipers, especially thick on this hillside. And so we rem- I remember seeing the buck and the doe in that on the, the right side of that thick patch last. But then it was actually Seth who had made the very most important reference point was the fact that we had last seen the buck and doe next to a, a tree with a very unique white circle on it. So when we ended up getting back to that shooting knob, we found the thick patch of junipers, and then we could narrow down our point of focus even further by looking for that tree with the white circle on it. So we really could zero in on where they were last. And they were very locked down, like we were talking about earlier. They hadn't moved very much at all. And we had um, come up with a little, we had come up with a uh, very rudimentary signaling system using Yanni's blaze orange how to gut a deer bandana. Yeah. Um, available at TheMeatEater.com. <laughs> currently out of stock i believe but coming back in stock soon um a, a little signaling system where if need be like we agreed that if i didn't do anything that meant nothing had changed and to, if i can interject i kind of wished that there was another signal that we had had which meant what am i trying to say here? we were getting that from you many times when we looked at you but we were not sure if you were just doing that because you didn't see us. Or if I got bored. Or if you were doing it because the deer was still doing what it was supposed to do. Oh, I got you. So we needed some kind of confirmation that you actually saw us and realized that we were asking for the update. There was no update. Yeah. Buck hadn't moved. But and, we needed confirmation. Yeah. So I'm us. perched up watching the buck from afar. And you're coming in. And our agreement was, if I don't do anything... There's nothing you need to know from me. If if not, I was going to take a orange bandana and tie it to a pole and uh, point from my perspective what direction the deer went on the face of the slope. But never needed to do it. Yeah. So, you know, I looked back at you a handful of times. You weren't doing anything, so the assumption was the deer was still in there. Yep. Just a dead stare yeah. on my face. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. And came up to the top of that first knob, creeped up. Really, we crawled to the top of that knob, and it was about 300 yards, I think, at that point, and just could not see anything. Just We, we, we stayed there a good, decent bit. I don't know, 20 minutes. Yeah, at least. Maybe even uh, 30. Maybe more. Glass and glass and glassing, but no movement. Um, so finally, we could see that there was still more of that ridge that was hidden by the furthest edge of our glassing knob there was a slight rise and we just couldn't see beneath that and so we assumed then if this buck's still in there it's got to be beneath the rise so we had to make a final like 70 yard creep and finally decided to do that we crept in got right to the kind of highest point of that little rise got down on hands and knees and and that's when i spotted the doe stops glass see the doe um kind of made a game plan for what we were going to do next, knew that there must be the buck somewhere nearby, 
And um, then I spotted the buck. Not too far away in the brush. There's like just, you know, thick junipers and whatever other junks down there. Oak. Oak. Um, and I remember in this, the first fleeting glance of him, I remember thinking, ah, it doesn't quite look like the buck we saw originally. And I turned to you, Yanni, and said, I don't know if it's the same buck. Mm-hmm. It looks like he has shorter tines. But then he moved off and crawled further and kind of got in position if, to where I could get a shot in that general area. So we got position, looking for them again, looking for them again. And then I'm like, hey, got the buck again. I could see this buck standing underneath that exact tree we had referenced earlier, the strange white circle tree. He was right there underneath that tree again, in the shade, in the tangle. And I just remember saying, hey, there's the buck. And I range him 230 yards. So within range, and uh, I'm looking at him, and he's dark antlered, and he's seemed whitish. I just could not see tine length, and I'm thinking to myself, God, I think this buck had longer tines that we saw earlier. I don't know. This buck's in range. Um, I can't remember if we looked back. I think Seth was trying to get a camera on it, and we asked him, like, can you see him? Is he look? Is it that buck? And he's he's like, I'd shoot it if it was me. <laughs> <laughs> And everything was kind of lined up, you know. It worked out well for the crew. Yanni and Seth were there, and it was my first coos deer buck, and it was pretty sweet. So got settled on him, and like you know, like you mentioned earlier, that was my longest shot ever on a on an animal. So took my time getting really settled in nicely, and had a bipod and the rifle set on my backpack, and put a pad underneath my right elbow, and just slowed it down as best as I could, um, took the shot. Well, it's funny is I was watching the other buck through a spot and scope on a pretty narrow Well, we haven't, focus. we haven't yet pointed out the fact that this was not the original oh. buck. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. But it's just funny that I was fo- – yeah, okay, so go on. Well, yeah, so the, the point being that the buck I ended up shooting was not the original one we was not spotted. The, was not the one I was watching yes. to see what it would – Yes. Do. But I'm staring at it through a spotting scope, the one that we had always been looking at, and I hear a shot, and all of a sudden a buck runs into my field of view and through my spotting scope, and within a second falls over dead right in front of the buck I've been watching for all that time. And that buck seemed to not care about that at all, but eventually got like, yeah, he kind of had an attitude like, yeah, better than him than me. And then he went... (laughs) up and over top of the ridge and out of our lives. I don't know how we never saw that other buck. Just Because you said he was so close, right? Can't see anything, man. It's too confusing. We talk about when he grunted right beneath us. We're not there yet. Not there yet. Then all kinds of weird stuff happened. But we couldn't see him just because he was like the same reason we couldn't see the other deer before we moved. I think he was just below below our, our, yeah. Yeah. The plane that we could see. Yeah, I feel bad too, man, because I so badly wanted to help out and like look and stuff, but I was running a camera and uh, I'm always so torn. I'd always rather just throw that camera in the ditch and just glass <laughs> and be like, there he is, don't shoot, shoot, whatever. But man, I got to sit there and try to get my coverage. It's tough, man. Oh, man. You did good work. Did good work. Well, we don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> I guess that's true. Mark's hunt might not even be included in the episode. We'll see. Is this, the first, is this the first hunt you filmed? No, no. Okay. How long has it been since you filmed one? Uh, not I'm that long. I filmed like, a little bit this fall. 
filmed yeah, would uh, you? Seek a Deer Hunt. Yeah. With Mark, actually. Was that with you? No. no. Kale was Cal. on the hunt. That was you and I. Oh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Tripod stand That's in right. the middle of the I was filming Cal on that hunt. Yeah. And then uh, I do a little bit here and there. You did, and I think you did another one. You pick up a camera pretty often. <clears throat> yeah. But I, I feel you on the, like, not being able to look and see what's going on. I mean, and I want, I often want to see what's happening, but I'm, I'm just stuck in the, the lens of my camera. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I don't see where the animal is. I, I don't get to pull out my binoculars. So it's all, like, almost imaginary. Everybody's real excited about something. I'm not looking at it. I'm, like, looking in the opposite direction. Dude, but this trip, I was, like, normally I'm, like, super, super excited to shoot. And I film. was, yeah, to film. Yeah, good clarification. Um, but like, normally we'll film as every like hunter's getting in and getting settled and pulling out their binoculars. And I just wanted that part to get done so then I could sit down, pull out my binoculars and start looking around. You spotted up a couple deer. I did. Yeah. I was you get a lot better. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. More on this trip than normal. You still had, you still had mama's milk on your lip when we picked you up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the first we thing... We were talking about that today. Oh, yeah. First, yeah. first hunt. Nice old game spotter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The buck I got was kind of like a real standard sort of coos deer situation. There was a, I think there's a good example in there, though, because I was thinking about it. Because um, the terrain... Um, your buck was locked, locked down, uh, when we took off, but we did a lot of walking and sneaking and trying to get around for, for quite a while. Yeah. You go way the hell out of your way to try to eventually wind up in a spot where you're in his zone without him knowing you got into his zone. Yeah. And, and really didn't shave off. You know, I, I think I arranged him bef- when we made the decision to go. And it was like 584 yards. And then 20 minutes of hiking around and sneaking, we were at 544 yards. Like we just, we did a lot of moving around to try to get to a spot where we could close distance. And then, um, and we weren't, we weren't effectively narrowing down that yardage. And then once we got in there, um, it, you know, it was a great stock, great hunt because there is always that apprehension of like, oh man, this this cannot work out. This cannot work out because the angle. Once we, in order to close that yardage down to a, a comfortable shooting situation, um, it made the angle to the buck um, very difficult. Made it a very difficult killing situation, even though it was within effective range. And this is kind of for a lack of a glass of a shooting knob, right? You Not a good really shooting, have knob. A shooting knob. Bet you found a shooting knob though. But we had to poke and pry to find a, a a knob that would let you look up into his little spot there. There's a lot going on up there too. Yeah. At one point, you guys had coos deer, javelin, and a coyote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and Seth were we stuck back and glassed from the original distance. And yeah, that that buck you ended up shooting was locked on with a doe. Four other bucks were kind of circling, trying to move in on that doe. And it was pretty cool is that your buck would run one of those bucks off, run off 30, 40 yards, and then storm right back to the doe, make sure she was still there. Then he'd run off with a buck, run right back. 
Um, and then, yeah, the Havilinos came passing right through, maybe 20 yards beneath them at one point. Right around the same time, the coyote trolled through, and that buck stayed right next to the doe. They, you could see all the deer, just their eyes following that coyote, the whole path he took. And then he left, and then it was right back to the doe. It's kind of a fun little wildlife watching uh, situation I had there while you were stalking in. It's amazing that at least I won't see that footage until who knows long time from now yeah then you'll be like oh that's right that was cool couple months no i always like uh it's fun to have that stuff um people be like hey did you take in your any photos from your trip like i took a tv show on my trip (laughs) (laughs) must be nice (laughs) Uh, that was a very fun hunt though that was a good one who wants to be in charge of talking about how you make tamales Hold on, aren't you going to say about tell everybody how uh, you got to shoot my buck for me too? Oh, you can go ahead and tell that story. Yeah, you're, you're just not like saying anything. You you call. Go ahead. <laughs> it's hard to say things. Well, it's getting. <laughs> <laughs> it's tired. That's, a lot of everybody's people tired. Here. I'm looking looking a lot of no, the there's just faces. I really there's like that voices. Line. A lot of other folks talking. Um, but no, after Steve shot his buck. Steve and Chris walked up the hill to go retrieve it, find it, recover it. And uh, Cal and I were waiting down there. And I forget, did you just look up and go, oh, there's another buck standing up there? It was, <laughs> it was just locked in place. No, I know, but did you see it? Is well, that there was the small buck it? chasing the doe. Oh, yeah, we saw around, that. Right? Two bucks chasing that doe. And then, yeah, and then uh, another buck, like, bombed in, and they eventually chased the doe, and right through where uh, your buck expired, Steve's buck expired, and I was kind of like, oh, my God, hopefully one of these deer isn't Steve's buck that just magically got up and ran away. Uh, But, yeah, then that uh, buck was down there in the uh, peripheral view he just showed up. I don't know. Well, Mark had spotted him earlier, the same yeah. buck. Anyways, he's standing there looking down at us. And in our, from, what, from our point of view, it looks like he's 30 yards to the left of Chris and Steve. And you guys are up there making television. So Steve's not talking in a quiet voice. Mm-mm. He's doing his thing, recovering the animal. And uh, finally, you guys get done doing what you're doing. And Steve yell, is yelling down on us like, hey, come on up here. No. You weren't? What were you yelling at us I didn't about? I yell at you. We did. We got a whoop or something like that. Yeah. You got our attention. No. Okay. Well, a voice from off Rich the hill. Did I have occasion to go whoop? Not typically. Not, not <laughs> since I've known you. I do remember Cal you, showing up. You guys might have heard us talk because when you're – like when we were up there, you could we were projecting pretty loud, going whoop. Probably not whoop. I don't remember a whoop, but uh, <laughs> hey, that might have been me actually. The hey, yeah, might have been me. Well, tell me more what of happened. a yeehaw. Uh, All Chris, of a sudden, you guys were hooting and you, hollering. You the guys movie. recovered the deer. We recovered the you deer. Did, you made a little television. We made a little scene. We, we filmed we, some stuff. Yeah, we found okay, the, found then, the dead deer. And then and then I remember hearing Cal being like, "Hey, can you guys take?" 
a couple steps to your left or whatever, to the north or whatever. No, he Definitely said go north. Left. I went south. Oh, yeah, go north. We went the wrong way. And, <laughs> and then he like, said go the, the other north. Way. I specified 100 yards. No, 100 we just yards, started yeah. yelling because you guys didn't have a radio. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we just started yelling. We have a buck at 200-some yards. You guys are 200 yards. And 30, we had hiked 30 up yards there. from the buck. Yeah. And we're going, hey, can you move a couple hundred yards to our right? And you yell back, why? <laughs> and we're like, well, there's a deer up yeah. there. Yanni's going to shoot him if you guys can walk like way the hell off of that slope. So and that's what we did. did. You guys did. And the bucks stood there through the whole thing. Like, that's and that's insane, party. man. And Yanni and so conversation is like, well, boy, it's nice buck. It's right there. This would be, you know, we only have so much time to, uh, you know, fill the tag. And it's like, well, if I just yell at those guys and he stays there, kind of, kind of got to take him, right? Yeah, we figured it'd be worth a try. Right. We figured as soon as we started yelling, you know, the buck would just scatter. Ski-daddle. Leave, leave the hill. But uh, It's hard to imagine what was what was going on with him. Yeah. I think that doe was just, he knew he was the second biggest buck on the slope. It was batter up time for him because the first biggest buck was out of the equation. And those two smaller bucks were now chasing that doe. But you and Pounder were in between him and that doe. And he was like really, he found himself in a very contemplative situation. <laughs> he did not move a muscle. No. You know what's really interesting, though? I've never seen this before, obviously, since I've never been in a situation like this where you're watching someone shooting an animal from a decent bit away. But we, I was glassing this whole thing, watching it through my binos. And both with your buck, Steve, and Giannis, I saw the deer react to the bullet before I heard the gunshot go off. Yeah. Mm. That was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was cool. I was like, oh, what's he doing? And then boom. Yes. That was neat. Yeah. So, yeah, that deer just fell over. <laughs> well, neither of them fell over. <laughs> yeah, my shot wasn't quite on the mark. I missed <sighs> him just a hair right. I couldn't tell like what I couldn't tell what went on in there, man, because one shoulder was completely just annihilated to the point where I didn't even bother trying to trim me. Well, we took the shank. That's how much was good of it. It was still, you know, edible. And there was a hole going into the body cavity on the inside of that shoulder. But anyways, the thing wasn't quite ready to die, so Steve walked over to it and uh, had to sort of run it down. Shoot him downhill. Yeah. Finally got one in its neck. Killed it. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands yep you can rent to own appliances like washers dryers or refrigerators furniture for your living room or bedroom even tech like computers and gaming systems plus errands has great brands like hp samsung and ashley and you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever here's the cool part say you're renting a 65 inch smart tv and decide you don't want it anymore at errands you can return it at any time or maybe you want to downsize to a 55 inch or upgrade to an 86 inch you can do that too. return it 
then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest errands store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. Dream hard to hit, man. Makes the dream work. He's ready to talk about tamales. <laughs> I like that gray fox. Oh, that, that was, was cool. cool. That, that was cool was gray so fox. Uh, the I, whole... like, I like asking the boys down here about running the jaguars, which happens. Yes. Yes, it does happen. Jay said we would have probably seen the mountain lion. That didn't end up happening. Didn't see mountain lion. I, I didn't even cut a track. Yeah. Saw one maybe kind of mushed track of a lion. I get the impression these guys run these cats. Like if they hear of a cat, one of these uh, uh, vaqueros, 
sees one, sees a track or something, they, whoever they know with dogs is going to run that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got a stuffed one here. Kind of, I don't know if you'd call that even a stuffed one, but <laughs> a, a very like basic attempt at taxidermy of a lion outside there. Um, yeah, tamales. So we made. So today we made venison tamales. Yesterday and today, with guidance from Carolina. Yes. Uh, we took four shoulders. Four chunk of neck. And keep in mind, Acoustier Buck only weighs—he's like you know, hundred pounds. And these things are lean, unreal lean, lean gene right now, man. They look like greyhounds because they've been rutting for a while. I think they must have. I think we're kind of toward the tail end of the. They got no fat on them. Imagine taking a rolling pin and smashing out a chunk of uh, Wrigley spearmint gum. And laying it out, smoothing it out flat. That piece of gum that is now flat. After it's been chewed a little bit. Is not, not one right out of the wrapper. No, I'm saying right out of the wrapper. And just smash that thing out. That's how much fat my buck had on it. I was amazed. You know the, the fat they get around, like inside their pelvis, like a, the, 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 yeah. the kidney fat and stuff? Yeah, a couple little mini globs of fat there, you know, in, in the low, like in the lower digestive, uh, like outside of the the lower digest, digestive tract, you'll find like some fat. He had some fat there. Yeah, some like, fat around his kidneys. No body fat. The one I got, the one we skinned out. Well, you skinned it with me. Yeah, in between the anus and like the end of the uh, tenderloin. Yep, right there. Like, he had some fat in there. Yeah, but nothing on the top of his. Not Haunches. a lick, and when they're laying there, they look like it. Like it's, it looks like a greyhound laying there. Yeah, just amazed. Just man, they work hard. And they don't eat. The bucks don't eat when they're rotten. I was worried that the meat wasn't going to taste that good. I was, I was, I thought for sure it'd be tougher than hell. Like but, it'd be poor condition or something. Yeah, yeah. but oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to add. I believe I'm right on this number. That white-tailed deer. Up in my neck of the woods, the number that I heard is that a buck during the rut up there can lose up to 30% of their body weight. No shit. Whoa. Yeah. From how 30%. much they run down. Somewhere in there, give or take. That's amazing. That's like me hunting doll sheep. Oh, how much you lost. <laughs> uh, so we took four full front quarters, so four front legs. Boned out neck meat. What else we throw in there? Oh, cook some tongue the night before. Yeah. Real crispy little tongue little crispers. What would you call those? I think just cilantro, white onion, and a bunch of uh, lime in there. Yeah, like tongue cracklings. Yeah. <laughs> that was a different meal. But we took uh, four deer quarters, neck meat, and then Carolina boiled it in a pot for six hours. Until the bones come out of the pot just clean. And yeah, we, we should put a couple of heads of garlic put some in garlic the water. In there. And we picked all that meat. Didn't take long at all. Picked all that meat, picked out, because there's no fat to pick out, barely to speak of. Picked out the sinew. It wound up with two big, imagine like a big-ass salad bowl. Household big-ass salad bowl. Two of those full of picked meat. And then... 
So we had all that picked. And then we took the boil the, the corn. It's like boiled corn. Yeah, so it's bloated. Bloated. Like it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's soaked up a bunch of water. It's what they call hominy, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah, except for this isn't. No, split. hominy is a part of the kernel. Hmm. The hominy is a part of a kernel. That's right. And but so this isn't like a ruptured this hasn't been soaking in water long enough to where the kernel is split. It's it's just the whole just a more imagine like a bloated corn kernel. Ran it through a grinder. Looks like a meat grinder. Like at at a passing glance, you think you're looking at a meat grinder, but it's these two plates that that mash together and the auger runs the corn out and you just mash and it winds up being like a wet cornmeal. Yes. Then you take all that meat juice that you use for boiling down the meat and wetting, wet that even more, put in a ton of lard. Healthy dose of lard. Put in salt, put in way more chili powder than you'd ever think you'd put in there. And blend that batter all up. And bake oh, we it forgot a part. Then you take your buck meat. And you, so you got your picked meat. You take a pot and you melt all your lard in the pot and put garlic and onion in that pot and cook it and then discard the onion, which I thought was interesting. Yes. Then put all the meat in, put in buck meat water, chili powder, lard, and make chili Colorado. Again, a lot of chili powder. Mm-hmm. So you got a pot that's got chili Colorado and then you got a pot that's got your mashed up cornmeal. Then you take corn husks, soak those in warm water till they're pliable, and you lay out the corn husk, and you take a spoon and put a big healthy dollop of the batter, the cornmeal batter on there, and spread it all around. Then you take the chili Colorado and lay it in there like you're laying a hot dog on a bun, and you roll it up and fold it real special, and then you stack them into a pot and steam them. Man, those sons of bitches good. Yeah, that was good. How many did we make? That was good. Oh, a lot. About 70, 70 75. 70 yeah. tamales and had leftover meat. Or did we use all of our meat? No, we no, had enough for chimichangas. Well, that's right. Deep, yeah. deep fried up some chimichangas. Oh, and wow. Did that use up all the meat? Nope. Nope. Really? No, there's a lot. Still more. Yeah. Carolina's probably taking five to 10 pounds home. Of the chili Colorado, or yep. just the meat, the just the, meat. just the shredded meat. Yeah, that's what's always tough on the tamale is your ratio of the the um, uh, maize. Is it maize? Maize, maize. Yeah, mm-hmm. corn. Uh, to uh, some folks call it corn or masa. Uh, to to the meat, you know, because um, you always feel like you're stung if you get nothing but the but the masa. Um, so they don't they don't use up as much uh, carne as as you think. Um, but holy, yeah, I had I went round two this evening with several of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were, yeah, they were <laughs> yeah. When you cross the border back in the U.S., you can t- you take your meat home. You can take your meat home on the bone. You can take it home off the bone. What you can't you got to clean if you want to bring a skull back you got to bring the skull back clean you can't bring a skull across that's not clean so you got to boil it and clean it the meat can go across on the bone we're going to bring our tamales across no problem the tricky part is bringing 
You can't bring a hide. Not that you can't. Remember I was talking about all those ticks. If you want to travel back in the U.S. and bring a cape, like you want to get the deer mounted, you need to get it that every single tick on that cape is gone. And the customs people will check that thing. They find a tick, you're back across the border. Am I right? That seems impossible. Yeah. But uh, I think most of Jay's clients cross with their capes. Just get in there and pick all them ticks. Yeah, or have it, have them picked. Yeah, give someone twenty bucks to pick ticks. You yeah. think a, a high percentage uh, evacuate the cave once that animal's been dead for a while? Sure, that happens a little bit. Yeah, maybe if they haven't attached themselves yet. But I think most of the ones I saw are so bloated they're not going anywhere. I think a trick is to freeze them. For a little while, make them real cold, you know, and then uh, maybe they come off easier or something. Kill them, but yeah. you got to go through there literally with a uh, fine tooth comb and a pair of tweezers for a couple hours. Man, I just bring this. I've seen a pint jar full after one cape. Someone filled a pint jar with ticks. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's yeah. cool. Two, two cups of awful. ticks. Uh, man, I would never, I mean, you know, nothing against anyone that does. Just personally, I would never mess with that. I just bring the skull home, set it on a skull shelf. So what what else do we have to do, Yanni? Because we still have, still have to do that tonight. That's right. As far as like being legal beagle, going across the border mm-hmm. with our... There's just some paperwork we get to fill out that says what we're bringing across. Okay. How much meat. And one, there is a tag. One skull. Right? Yeah, you put a tag on. Okay. The antlers. Is that just a customs tag or is that like an actual like game agency tag? Yeah, it comes from the uh, Mexican government. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. The tag. And, but the, the U.S. guys will check it. Oh. Yeah. And when they ask to inspect our meat, we'll have to pull out our tamales. <laughs> yeah. Like right there, boy. Be like, I counted those sons of bitches. <laughs> Yeah, that should be about it. But I was going to say, yeah, that uh, Carolina, man, that helped us make these tamales, uh, that's something that Jay set up too. You know, and that's something that I think that anybody can get that comes down here and does a hunt with Jay is uh, you can just request that he uh, um, gets you a cook. So for, and for a very affordable price, we ate some, like, super good, authentic Mexican food. Not every night. We brought a lot of our own food, but... I think she cooked her own like recipes, what, three nights? What else do we have? How many tortillas chili, do you think? Chili oh, from Colorado. God, dude, the tortillas. Just the tor- we had Italian one night and I put a tortilla in it. Yeah. <laughs> so and good. I brought down I brought down um some fish. Yeah, the fish from was my good. fish shack and she cooked she that could, fish for us. Chorizo last cooked night. Chorizo, chorizo and eggs. She left that uh, in there. Yeah, she made uh, hundreds of tortillas for so us many. to eat. Hundreds. And uh she made a big uh pot of pasole which was amazing really good soup mm-hmm. and what else do we have chili colorado the first night chorizo the chorizo chorizo which is really good dinner and breakfast mm-hmm. papas fritas oh man those are good <laughs> yes which is the same on both sides of the border yeah but yeah did there's something different about frying them in water yeah i think that's how over they a fire she fried them over a huge fire outside whoa 
Okay. There we go. Fried potatoes. <laughs> Giannis fire, is genuine fire fried potatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was great because it really lets uh, us to focus on the hunting and uh, the production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It really it was noticeable. Up late. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I was like, why are we getting to bed so early? And it was because somebody was here getting food ready. By yeah. the time we got back, yeah, really and you'll nice. be able to you'll be able to watch and see. We filmed it, and I presumably filmed it beautifully. Oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> the the Muy long bueno. kind of beautiful process of making tamales. Yeah, of tamale production. It was a nice scene. You could do it in a day, but it took two. It, it's something that it really should be done over two days. Yeah, yeah, and we did it uh, like an uh, an outdoor kitchen area over wood fire. A lot of it. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's just it. I can't wait to put I think it's going to be a really cool scene, man. It's going to be a really cool scene. Carolina's awesome. Even though she didn't say much, she's kind of like a cool, like, <laughs> grandma-style guide passing on the knowledge of tamale making. Yeah. Which is cool. Good, good laborers. I think she yeah. appreciated it. Yeah. She gave you the I don't unskilled know, at, at times jobs. I saw her laughing at us. Yeah, there were a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I a long time ago uh, had a bunch of muskox meat and gave muskox meat to a Guatemalan woman, and our deal that we struck was I would get half my muskox meat back in tamales, mm. which is a good deal. Yeah, because you want to get a bigger pile of stuff back than you gave. Like I gave her like I think I gave her like twenty pounds of muskox meat, and I got ten pounds. Which is a ton of tamales, ten pounds of meat. And I had to wrap them all up and, and uh, wrap them all up and put them in my freezer. And then just pull those suckers out and eat them. They were good, even frozen, even you know frozen, thawed, and warmed up were wonderful. What's oh. the best way to warm a tamale? Like reheat a tamale? I feel like what I was doing, if I remember right, I feel like I was sticking them in my oven. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think I was microwing them. I think I was throwing them in my oven. I wrapped them in foil. Yeah, or just steam them again. Re-steam them. Yeah, that's gonna be. Uh, that's what I would do. That's lunch what I'll meat be. eater office that's for a while. I might even home. have to have another one before I go to bed. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. Oh yeah, nightcap tamale. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Rick, what's your um, you know, your closing thought? Your concluding. Oh, all right. <laughs> you can go back. To, you can go back right to, You can go back to luring in ladies. No, I've no. I, this is that a, drone. No, if it, no. It, no, is that it was, how much fun we had on the mountain? Uh I mean, it's been a while since I've I've worked on one of these, uh, one of the shows. I was busy this fall, so I sadly didn't get to go on any of the adventures. I uh, missed out on a, a Fognac happily, <laughs> um, but uh, the first hunt I filmed was a coos deer hunt uh, with Remy Warren. That was your first foray into film and hunts. Yep. Yep, it was, yeah, like, I had I'd never done it, and I thought, ah, it sounds like it'd be a good experience, but I didn't realize that it would be it would be such a, something that I look forward to. Um, you don't regard it as lowly? No, it's actually, I think it's kind of, in a lot of ways, it's like everything that I like about filmmaking distilled into a very pure form. Does it? Does it? Because because you come out of nature uh, well, documentaries and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, do, loosely, do those yeah. dudes frown on you? Does that community frown on you? Because no, you go out and you go out I don't and, know. and uh, do I, the savagery. I don't. 
I don't really check in. You don't you, know, they, you don't care about their opinion on it. No. No. I mean yeah, I I I feel like I'm more a part of just a filmmaking or documentary community and then I have a niche. Uh, but I jump I I do a, a lot of different things, but I feel that it's it's just a challenging thing to do to to document these hunts in a way that conveys the aesthetic, uh the narrative everything you guys feel about the hunt. So there's just a lot of complicated factors and you just have to hike, hike and keep up. So I, which I, I enjoy, I mean, compared to a lot of the jobs I'm on, you know, if you're in hotels or you just feel pretty bad at the end of every day, mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah, you feel bad. And at the end of these days, you might feel tired, but you feel like, you, I don't know, you feel like super yeah, more like you're on vacation than you're wor at work. Dude, so. the other day we Ta did. Go sorry, ahead. Yanni. We did the we did a hunt, successful hunt. Came back, did a hundred push up, little <laughs> lunch break. The Hundo Club. The Hundo Club. Everybody got to a Hundo, and then we went back out for an evening hunt, hiking all around. Oh yeah, it's like, so you I mean, and then you feel yeah you feel better at the end. I mean, we're going to bed and at like eight deer, I, Just the whole the whole deal. I mean. Coos deer are easily one of my favorite animals to watch, or at least it's my favorite hunt that I've filmed. I just really like the the process, glassing. It's very, uh, there's a lot of patience involved. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I was I was happy to get to come back, and it's, uh, I, this is my third coos deer hunt, so, or filming, you know, which, but I feel like I'm part of the, part of the hunt itself, so, um, yeah, it was great. I really, I really like the, just visually, uh, this part of Mexico is really beautiful and different than I thought. Uh, yeah, every morning and every evening you get just, just a killer amazing, sunset. Yeah, great light, really, you know, a lot of, lots of, and everything's spiny, really cool plant. I mean, everything's cool about it. Yeah, so. Well, we're glad you had fun, Rick. Yeah, I like coming along. Thanks, thanks. And I mean, Cal. Uh, he, you know, I got to hang out with Cal most of the time, and uh, he brought me coffee every day. So always had a warm cup. Oh man, he just treats me. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like it's a it's the relationship between a cameraman and whoever they're filming. It's this in interesting dynamic. But Mark, I need you to take notes, especially <laughs> especially in a situation like this where I I really am a I'm non hunter. I don't really know what I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm not expert I've you know I try I do my best but having uh Cal being like all right we're gonna do this he's very patient like explains the process or and, and he does it both on camera to the potential viewer but also to me so I think he um I just really enjoy kind of being able to hang out with somebody that kind of guiding me through the process and hopefully that translates to good tv too uh and you know takes the viewer along for a ride but i enjoyed uh wandering around with cal out there actually mostly we just sat stared and you spotted some deer oh uh, very few i felt bad <laughs> i tried hard but <laughs> i didn't have a tripod for my it was great it was great it's hard super fun yeah dude i, I feel bad too every day for not spotting, they're there. Deer. Yeah, you know they're there. That's uh, it's not. Yeah, they were there, and I just not seeing them. But well, I did, what I'm saying is, you're not alone. Even after uh, a dozen, you guys are so hunts, good at it. Though. I still Man. feel that way. 
Yeah, but I did like when you guys couldn't amongst one another because it happens to to us because we just don't spend that much time be behind binoculars or maybe as much time is when you couldn't find the animal that somebody else sees. It gives me. It's not. It doesn't give me pleasure, but uh, it because I often feel that like somebody else sees something, I'm like, I just can. I don't know where you're looking. You get explained very clearly where it should be, and you just can't see it. What's what's happening there a lot of times is the the, the one that sees it catches a movement, yep, or catches it out in the open, right? And so then they got a lock on it, and then it moves into a shitty spot. Yeah, yeah. And then other people, like the original finder, it gets in a spot where the original finder wouldn't be able to find it either if they didn't already know it was there, and then it gets really frustrating. Yeah, that, but that didn't it, happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you it, follow what I'm saying? Because oh, you, like, you wind up being like, "Well, okay," but he's kind of behind that bush. If yep. you look, you'll see his foot sticking out. No, and, know, it, or and it is something about once you notice something, it becomes visually more obvious. Then, but yeah, but I like seeing that dynamic unfold because you guys are all very good at spotting things, and so when you get frustrated and not being able, to... But I think you're specifically talking about because um, I feel that the, way often the talking in yeah. Of, yeah, talking in the yeah. whole process is just like I, I regard that as um this is this is gonna sound bold uh-huh. but I think that uh, I regard that as one of my specialties. Talking people. In. I feel that I'm. I'm. I. I, I feel <laughs> that I do a pretty good job of trying to talk people into where I'm looking. You know why? Because I take the time. <laughs> I take the time. I think Cal uh, does some big leaps. <laughs> he doesn't walk you through every tree. I'm like, okay, and then there's that tree, and then if you immediately go, then there's that tree, and then if you go uh, six o'clock from him, there's that bush. Cal's like, oh, and over. <laughs> One thing I, I would do uh, more consistently is the uh, is your o'clock method. Dude, that the o'clock is the only mm-hmm. way to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you don't run, one. if you're not running center clock to describe what we're talking about, is you see something, <laughs> you try and tell people where it is. So I will, I go to like a feature that everyone would agree with. Start with, and it could be anywhere to start with something that everyone could agree with on like that big huge rocky peak and people are like got it and then work from there okay yeah, it's a good method go towards seven o'clock from there until well, you plus see you have an unfair advantage because you're such a you know a natural teacher and a patient individual <laughs> <laughs> that does help it does help no frustration mark what do you got if you had to take the whole, like, one thing, one thing from the whole thing, what would that one thing be? That has to be my concluder? Yeah, it's kind of like the spirit of concluders. Or you can come out of the left field. I don't know. You can talk about Rick, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, my one thing is, is kind of, it's, it's kind of a two-parter, I guess. Because the one thing that struck me the most about this, what was so cool, was the... The taking of something that's so familiar to me and that I'm so passionate about, white-tailed deer, so known to me, and then throwing that into a situation in a landscape so unknown to me. So seeing this, this my, my, my favorite game animal, without a doubt, white-tailed deer, here in a place that's so foreign um, and new was, was a lot of fun. Everything was new about this, not just the place, but also, as we talked about, you know, this type of hunt. 
Um, so that was really, really fun, really interesting. Um, but what it did leave me with was a desire to go back to a little bit of the familiar, which was I wanted to be closer to these animals. Like one of the things I love about hunting whitetails back home is being 20, 30 yards from them and hearing them and, and being afraid to move or make the slightest sound or different things like that. So coming out of this, I think the biggest thing I'm taking away is, is how awesome it was and how I want to try to bow hunt one of these suckers someday. People and, do it. Yeah. Just, it just be like an entirely different approach. Yeah. It'd be so different, so yeah. difficult, but like this kind of leaves me charged with wanting to try that someday because it would just be neat to try to figure out some way to slip in really close to one of these I think guys. you'd want to get into a situation where you had a buck, you had like a like a like some of that rutting activity mm-hmm. where you got a doe and there's bucks chasing around. Just get down in that zone and see what happens. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, like you said, it's yeah. certainly possible. Play the wind, get in that zone, and then just kind of try, just wait and see what opportunities or if he moves. Yeah. You'd spend a lot of time having no idea where they were because yeah. you're on their slope with them yeah and you might hear something but it, it'd be tricky but i mean I, I don't you know people do it yeah well it's like you know the other day after i shot my buck you came up and we had seen this other deer and then all of a sudden we heard a deer grunting and he came right by us i mean he must have been within 40 50 yards probably but you could never see him he was down slope enough and that the brush was tall enough and he was small enough probably that Right there, probably within bow range. No idea, though, where he was. Yeah, I had a buck at 10 yards. We had to be jumping over a road going, bat. <laughs> he had a dainty little bat. It's a little bat. Little guy grunt. Yeah, but so cool, and, and I just really appreciate you guys having me along. I mean, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity probably for, for me or a lot of people, and, man, I enjoyed it. That's good to have you, man. It's Glad cool. you got something out of it. Yeah. Callahan? Callahan, as my kids call him. Callahan? Hey, Callahan. Um, yeah, just phenomenal trip. I guess observations, just the um, the scale. Like, the grass isn't abnormally tall. The, um, the deer are just short. Like, it's knee-high grass. Um, and I, had, I definitely had a hard time, like, making my brain put these these deer at the proper scale over and over again um and uh they're gorgeous critters um really really had a good time really enjoyed the terrain real ankle breaking mm-hmm. hills out here though like all that loose rock mm-hmm. yeah round rolling loose rock um uh gotta see a uh Kawadi, which was pretty hilarious and that, that was a good rick smith uh, we were hiking up the road, and, and he's like, oh, you know, I think this uh, this poop here is uh, from a quaddy. Cody. Well, so there's a couple of... Different ways to pronounce it. I don't want to hash it out. Go ahead. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's like a... Uh, Souped-up raccoon monkey. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, th- I saw one of those down on the Yucatan on, on yeah. the side of the road one time. Yeah, you see them out. They come out at night digging like looking around the beach for shellfish and yeah, crazy stuff yeah really cool and uh you know later on that day we're sitting on this ridge um getting outsmarted by these coos deer bucks and 
I stand up and look and uh Rick was you know always attentive like Rick always was so he was locked in his binoculars down on the ground and I was like oh my god like Rick you're and I couldn't remember the name so I'm like you know Mexican bush monkey (laughs) Rick get up um so that was super fun it was just a great trip man All, all of it just odd observations at this point I'm getting kind of tired but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the meat was fantastic. The people were fantastic. Loved the uh, the uh, the pace of uh, life and and uh, uh, Beto and Carolina down here were were huge parts of the trip. And Carolina, Carolina, um, and uh, yeah, stellar crew. You know, one thing that I always love about uh, running around the woods with. Uh, photographer types is the fact they um, they like to notice and it's their job to notice also like all the all the good extra stuff you know it's not just the deer it's the sunrises the sunsets the big thorns the um, the bonus critters um, and uh, that's really enjoyable Ridge Pounder Viva Mexico bro <laughs> <laughs> That's all you got to say. You loving it? Loving it. Sunsets. It. I mean, that's fine, man. You yeah. Like, you liked filming that sunset. Oh, dude. Sunsets down here were big throbbing droner. Dude, spiritual awakenings in those things, man. They're crazy. It's cool. It's really cool down here. Johnny's. I think that's what they called you at the border. Johnny's. <laughs> Something like that. No, actually, I think that the guy at the aduana, we got our uh, tourist visa. I think he actually pronounced it properly. No, man, I was standing there waiting for him to pronounce it because I was excited <laughs> about what would happen. <laughs> and he said, Johnny's. Uh, yeah, anyway, I thought he did a better <laughs> job than normal. Uh, I, yeah. I love coos deer. I lo- what I like about it when I always leave, I like the fact that uh, I still feel like a real beginner at this thing and um, hunting them. And uh, it's great to have a a, a, um, a quarry out there that uh, I'm unfamiliar with and that every time I come down for a hunt, I like, feel really uh, like like the odds are against me. We see a lot of little bucks, and I think if you just didn't care – you know, what kind of buck you're going to shoot, then I wouldn't feel that way because you probably could get that done in a couple of days. But if you set out to shoot something that's, you know, whatever, a little bit bigger than average, older than average, however you want to put it, it uh, it's a real challenge and it's um, not easy to do. And uh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I like being uh, just, a be- just a beginner. It is the kind of thing where you, you think like, oh, man, next year I'm going to – because it's just you never feel like you got it totally figured out. Yeah, I think we stayed down here for two more weeks and guided, you know, four guys apiece. That would add up pretty quick. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. A week at a time here and there, and yeah. They're I'm tough. with you though, dude. They're Man. tough. Great. It's instantly addicting. My favorite part of the trip was honestly making the watching the tamales get made. That was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because. It's like, you know, you encounter people in life 
um, that you're just not, that, that you, know, you don't really know what their trip is, right? And they don't understand, like you don't really understand the details of their life and you don't, and you don't understand the details of their life. And you're probably not even equipped to understand the details of one another's lives. And then the language barrier makes it even that, that you're especially not going to understand the details of each other's lives. Um, but there's like an empathy there, like, a, like a, a human empathy or desire to connect. And it was just cool to uh, be able to spend a bunch of time with someone and like learn some food preparation like that. And, and it winds up being that you, get, you just get the sense that like people are enjoying themselves and, and feeling not entirely different. You know, and and that's the kind of thing like, you know, to be in a situation where you've, it's a strange relationship to have with someone, um, to make someone that you don't know and you, you, you're down filming. And so you hire someone to do some cooking for you. Um, and you can't talk really that, that, that well, it's just an unusual relationship, right? It's like, a, it's a relationship that, that tends to make me un, like that kind of relationship makes me uncomfortable because I feel like there's somehow like an unequal footing in some way. Um, and, but then to, to be able to hang out today doing that and watch someone do something and, and, and uh, like do it well and do it very beautifully, I thought was cool. It was a nice, I mean, I loved the hunting, you know, the hunting's great. Um, and I'll come back many times to do it. We're already talking about coming back next year. But like those little connection points, I think are pretty cool. Would have been a completely different trip without that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just would have been. And kind of her relationship to, you know, attitude about deer meat. It's a coveted thing. Yeah. You know. It was awesome. Yeah, it was fun to watch, man. And then just like the, uh, no measuring cups. Yeah. Just everything by just the eyeball, just like having done it and done it and done it and done it and done it. And then um, a pair of hands that have seen a tremendous amount of work. Not specialized work work yeah like work work yeah hands like that don't just happen no no i like looking at all the guy uh, everybody's hands they're all work like a lot of time yeah it's good man it sets your head right some trips kind of set your head right you know it's fun all right thanks for listening Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it 
return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Decked drawer systems. I've always loved Decked, as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system and storage cases from the ground up. They got the Deco case line. These cases are as tough, if not tougher, than Pelican case or Go boxes. Totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping.